Welcome to the Abundance Matrix Underground Podcast. Get ready to go behind the scenes with Amanda Flaker and listen in on private conversations she's had with powerful creators who are building the new world, as well as her thoughts on the Abundance Matrix. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Abundance Matrix Underground Podcast. I've been a little quiet and a little slower to post recently because I have been so deep. I feel like deeply alchemicalizing some of the psychic entanglements I've had with the collective and particularly tuning into the collective patterns of lack, which has been something I've done unconsciously most of my life and For those of you who've followed me for a while, you'll know that you've probably heard me said that when I started doing YouTube, I began to realize how deep of a psychic conversation I was involved in because one of the most consistent feedback responses I would receive on my videos from people who really resonated with me is, I feel like you're in my head. I've been having these conversations with myself. I didn't know anyone else was thinking this and I could feel the power of these deeper, deeper existential questions, which I think really have to do with the parts of us that we've abandoned and blocked up and made wrong. Those parts eventually, it's like holding a ball underwater. You can't cut yourself off from an aspect of what you are without it eventually showing up in some way as lack or trauma on the surface. And so obviously I know that most of you who follow me are are already deep into all of this, but the thing I wanted to talk about today is the power of an existential crisis. I know most of you who follow me have had an existential crisis, maybe more than one, but one thing I've realized about releasing these last sort of psychic entanglements with the collective narrative and storyline of lack There's not enough. We're not enough. We have to decide who's worthy to receive because there's not enough. So let's create a system which is high, which is a hierarchy in nature. And it's based on elitism because you have to be better in order to receive. You have to be good or better or right or just a criminal mastermind. Either way, you have to outsmart or outdo or outcompete in order to receive because there's not enough. And this is so deeply embedded in us, in humanity. And this is the reason why I think so many people never get free because we just keep joining one cult after another, after another. We, we, a lot of us started out in, and I'm, I'm calling, I'm using the word cult, by the way, side note. I know it's a strong word, but we've got to real, I think so many people who, like for me and my story, for those of you who, who know my background, know that my parents were in a cult and I've had family members in cults and I've sort of been on the outer edge a, a, a lot and I could even see how I could easily create a cult. Like there's there's sometimes cult energy around me because of my experiences. But most people when they think of cult think of these like obscure religious things. But they don't see, for example, political parties as cults or institutions as cults, or ideology as a whole. To me, a cult is an ideology that's formed that 
you bring people into as this is the only truth or the only way. And our mission is to convince the rest of the world or or the people in our lives that this is the right way to be. <clears throat> and maybe it's not an overt mission, but it's usually in any institution, there is a goal to convert people to our way of thinking. And again, because there's not enough and only some people can be worthy. Also, because there's basic principles to live by in humanity that keep us safe. And I think where this all gets entangled is that for a lot of us, we are, especially when, we've, when we're strongly raised in any sort of system, whether it be secular or religious, that is a strong outer authority. <clears throat> This is what Rachel Jensen calls it, an outer authority. But a strong a strong belief in the external systems around you and, and sort of just a falling in line, like this is what I was taught, this is what I do in order to be right and good. And if we never get to a point where we authentically question without fear and not even out of fear. A lot of people wait till they get in really uncomfortable situations before they question. And then their whole world feels like it's torn apart because there's something safe. It's an illusion of safety, but there does, it does feel psychologically safe to, to be accepted by the tribe and to feel like something external from us is going to take care of us and that we'll, we'll take care of any possible disasters or catastrophe or whatever, that there's something out there that's going to have our back. And this is, I believe this comes from our deeply <clears throat> communal nature that we've numbed out to at the more we've adopted a hierarchy, the more we've adopted this belief that there's not enough. The more we do that, the more we numb out to our deep intimacy because True communion can't be had without sovereignty. So if I'm in a system where I believe the external world is responsible to keep my world together and I just need to know my role and I'll do my role and I won't question, I'll behave and I'll be good and that's, that's the right thing to do. And I, and I, by the way, I don't think it's wrong or evil to think this way. It comes from trauma, from where we have had our communal nature deeply wounded. So what I'm saying is that the majority of people are raised in a cult energy. The, it is a cult. This world is based on cult energy and it's based on sacrifice. And there's an, a multitude of different cults out there. But ultimately, the energy of believing that the external reality is, is meant to inform you who you are and what to be and what to say and how to act, that's how we get caught in mimic. And if you look at all this, the reason why this pattern is so clear to me is because I grew up around this mindset. Anyone who's grown up in a strong culture of something, it doesn't matter what it is, and I want to make sure that I'm clarifying. I don't think these, it's wrong. There's a lot of really powerful things that can come of, of strong, um, group think. It's because thoughts are powerful. And sometimes the strong group think is in accordance with something that we deeply need or, or, and usually it is. So good can come of it. And I want to just make sure that's clear because I don't think we'll ever get free if we keep going between right and wrong. This thing's right. 
this thing's wrong. And then we have to be against the thing that we think is wrong. We have to be for the thing that we think is right. And it just doubles down on our duality mindset, which is ultimately the mindset that created lack and the hierarchy and elitism. And I feel like we're like a monkey chasing its tail, that we can't see out of the mimic program because we refuse to have the existential crisis that dissolves our illusion that the power is outside of us. We're giving unconsciously so much creative psychic energy. And when I say psychic, I use that word intentionally because I know it's triggering for people. But for me, it's the thought realms. And if we don't really get to the point where we understand that we create with our thoughts and that we are psychically entangled with the matrix, we are creating it. And as disempowered as so many people globally feel is to in direct proportion to the level in which they're asleep to their own power. And I've, I, again, because because of growing up in my in in the environment I grew up in in Utah County. For those of you who know my story, my parents were polygamists. They got out of it before I really had. I didn't know what was going on. I'm the youngest of all the kids, but <clears throat> so we grew up in we were in Utah. I grew up in Utah County, where the majority of the people are LDS, not polygamists. They're the main, mainstream Mormons, and because the mainstream Mormons have been wanting to get away from polygamy for so, so long. If you're a polygamist and you live in Utah, especially in the 80s and 90s, it's changing a lot now. But it's like almost like you're a shame spot for the church. And it's weird how it's so deeply psychological. I felt it my whole life. I didn't know why I felt so much shame. I didn't know why I felt the shame in my family because I didn't know the details of what was going on. But as I've grown up, I have seen through layer after layer after layer after layer of, a, of external authority that I've had to work through that were deeply just in me, in my psychic field because I empathed it. And one of the things that shocked me when I, I moved to Portland when I was in my 20s in Portland just so at the time, I don't know what any statistics are now, but at the time I remember um, <clears throat> because I went when I went there, I was very Christian. And I remember learning that um, Portland was one of the most unchurched states in the country, in the United States. One of the most unchurched states. So most people aren't any religion. And <clears throat> not the state, I guess Portland being the city, not the whole state. But I I remember being so utterly fascinated by people who didn't grow up with a religion because everybody I had known in my whole life either were Mormon, like LDS Mormon or maybe some breakoff group from Mormonism or Christian, like mainstream Christian. And I had a couple friends in high school who were like Jehovah Witnesses. And I was always friends with the people who were the minority because I was a minority in terms of like the dominant religion was LDS and everyone's goes like goes to church with their neighbors. So everybody knows everybody. Everyone's sort of involved in everybody's life. There's a strong community that's very supportive of each other. And when you're outside of it, <clears throat> you're not in, you feel it so strongly. And the energy very much is often coming towards you is either love bombing you so that you'll become a member so that you can be welcomed into the flock or creating a distance because you you represent and and for me in many ways I think well my family as a whole 
which I didn't know this because I didn't, I so didn't know what was going on. I felt it all, but I didn't know. But we represented literally shame from Mormon history's past. And I had no idea any of this, but it has given me such privy psychically, like in the deepest, most empathic parts of me, because I grew up around this, such incredible intimate data to the intricacies psychologically that happen when you're bound up in an, in giving your power away to external authority. And what I've realized my whole life, I've, I've like many of my friends who are LDS have since left the church or just deeply been questioning everything as a whole, not just Mormonism, but God as a whole, or maybe just how they were taught about God or what they were taught about God. And, and there's a whole process. Anyone who's, who's, who's had an existential crisis and had to come out of something they strongly believed in, there's a whole process that you go through. And the people who go through it are incredibly brave because you truly do break down all, everything that is, could even possibly be there because you were told it should be there and not even realizing that something else is controlling it. What I'm trying to say is off what what I've realized that most people who go through existential crises, including me, I went through my own, I had to break down everything I believed and build it up from a, a foundation that was authentic. Because when you're told what you should believe, and then when fear, guilt, and shame is used to manipulate you into staying in that belief, it creates an inauthentic relationship with that power. And it controls us in ways we don't even realize. And the point I want to make is people who've been in religion, obviously my example is Mormonism, but this happens all over the place. I have friends who've been deeply Christian and also gone through this whole existential crisis or been, like I said, Jehovah Witness or or um, now it's becoming people who are in political parties. And I that's the thing I've been blown away by. After I lived in Portland, I realized... Even though these people, many of the people I knew, I don't want to speak like stereotypically, but I found out because I developed a lot of really close relationships with people that had no church history or religious background, but they still had their own belief system that this authority in many ways that they gave to the world, and for many people it's science and their political party and their over overall ideology about the world, and and. W- Believing that there's certain people that just automatically, certain people in the external or certain institutions in the external, that what what they say goes, period. They just have faith in it. If so-and-so says it, then it's true. And I, I started to realize a lot of people who would get fascinated by my story, a lot of people in Portland would, when they'd find out I came from a polygamous background, for example, it'd be like, what? No way. Like literally never having met anyone that came from that sort of a background. So... It was always just like fascinating conversations with people. But one thing that I'm blown away by, I'm like, wow, you don't see many people, not not everyone, but a lot of people don't see how they have the same thing. It was like so mind blowing for them to like, how can you possibly believe that? Or how, why do these people give authority to these, you know, prophets or whatever? And it's like, well, you actually do the same thing. Most people do. And the reason why we never heal is because we can't see the mechanism and how it works. We keep making it about this ideology versus this ideology. We're right. 
no, we're right. Us versus them. And there always has to be a war and a tension, but because only one person can be right, we're missing out on what it even means to be human and to be a feeler and to be a thinker and, and how that affects our reality. That's what we came here to, I believe that's what we came here to learn because that's what everyone is dealing with. And everybody goes through these themes of at some point we have to, we learn how to, how our own thoughts and how our own emotions are affecting our reality. And then we learn we have a choice and we have a will. Everybody has to realize that at some point. You have a part and a say in what's happening. And the, the alluring thing about giving all of our power and authority to something external from us is we don't have to take responsibility for having true faith in something. We just assume, oh, the smart people. Like for what I realize is a lot of people that I met that didn't have a religious background, it's still like their gods were the smart people or like well, whoever they deemed smart and and on top of it. and dead. So whatever they said goes. And I know there's some, there is truth to people who have established authority in some area, whether through study or through discipline or through whatever. There's something that's part of what we do and it's part of how we grow. But everybody individually is still ultimately the only one that has any say in how they're using their psychic energy. And we don't even realize we have a say. And so the power of an existential crisis, I feel like especially for people who think, if, if you find yourself thinking, how do people believe that, whatever that is for you? How do people believe that? How do people do that? How, how do they not question? Again, this whole thing that's happened the last few years, everything that's unfolding, all the things that are coming to the surface, more people I think than ever, including me, are paying attention to what's going on in the world, quote unquote. And the thing that has absolutely blown me away and that's so familiar to me, I've seen it my whole life, but it just strikes me as ironic that the majority of the world can't see it, is how specifically politics, and, and when you talk about politics, ultimately we are talking about ideology. And same with religion. Um, but with politics, we act like it's this neutral, secular thing, but it's still steeply based in my, my group is right. Your group is wrong and, and my job is to overtake you or overthrow you or to control you or to be the ones that writes the rules for you. There's, that's no different than church to me. Well, specifically a cult, cultish church. Churches that are not built in sovereignty. Ideologies that are not built in sovereignty. I don't, um, um, sovereignty. I don't think there's anything wrong with ideology. But there is something that is detrimental to us as humans when we go into us versus them mentality because it destroys our communal abilities. And our communal abilities are rooted in our thriving and in our, our intimacy with life. And we are intimate beings. We've all been filtered through this idea, this very masculine way of doing life that it's all about earning and proving and it's all on you and pulling up your bootstraps, especially if, for Americans. Like we were raised with that mentality, most of us. I was strongly. This idea that it's all on you and and you got to do it and you earned it and you can be proud of it. And again, there's truth to all that. Even in the message that I'm talking about now, I'm talking about you versus you. 
And then you having relationship with yourself rather than you being against yourself. Communion. One of the things that I, I talk about a lot is how I believe we're trinity beings. I get that word from my background, but it works for me. The fact that we are not just mind, we're not just body, and we're not just emotions. We are all three of those things. And yet they're all their own sovereign aspects of us. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was brought up the verse in the Bible that talks about the body itself. Like the thumb can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Like every part has its own unique, incredible function. My thumb is, and its function and how it looks is completely different than my eye, but it's all connected. It's all part of one system. And if I made them against each other, it's, it's ultimately being against my being. And I believe that the reason why war is ultimately an extinction program, and we, we keep doing it over and over, we keep thinking the only way to enact our will is to force it. We have to make it happen. And the, the art of the feminine side, the feminine energy, the art of receiving, the art of allowing, the art of surrendering, the art of nurturing, the art of protecting, which is fierce. Because we often think of feminine energy as uh, weak. Because there's a, there can be a quality of softness to it, but there is also a quality of fierceness to it. And we don't realize how much our <clears throat> dualistic mindset about the world, this how, how deeply steeped we are on, in right and wrong, good and bad, and why it prevents us from having communion, deep communion with each other, or with people, people who think differently than us. And... And I truly believe that the, the, the most accurate and authentic expression of life is diversity. And it's not just diversity in how things look. It's diversity of the mechanisms themselves. They all have different, we all have different mechanisms and purposes. And it's also why this whole comparing and competing energy is is ultimately counterproductive if we want to thrive and there's again there's we love to I think we innately love to play and we are meant to sharpen each other so there's elements to all of this that it's not like they're ultimately wrong it's just like putting them in their place putting ideology in its place And this is where it's like, we have worshipped the mind and logic for so long that we don't even realize that our logic has enslaved our humanity because it's put us in a box and it's ignored almost entirely because I think it's been ultimately afraid of what it doesn't know, which is that this other part of us is equally us, the chaos part, the fertile dark, the incubation like I said, the surrender, the growing of the baby in the womb and the primal way we we birth and the primal way we die and the cycles of, of, of nature itself. There's an intimacy to all of it that when we're at war with it or we believe we have to conquer it or we, have, we were born into um, 
into enslavement of it and we're always we're always trying to overcome enslavement so to speak it creates a lack of intimacy and i believe this is the core issue that we're seeing all over in the world there's obviously a very logical and there's there's it gets very complicated when you get into the specifics of it. Anytime you're trying to break down who's ultimately the good guy and who's ultimately the bad guy or what ideology is the good guy and what ideology is the bad guy. In my mind, if we really want to break it down to that, the enemy, the ultimate ideological enemy of humanity is the belief that we're not enough. And that there's not enough. We, it's a complete misunderstanding of energy. And we keep re on our, because of our beliefs that there's not enough and we're not enough. And so we have to prove and own and earn and, and justify and there's no innate worth in us. Then we spend our energy fueling the mimic program that reinforces that we're not enough and there's not enough, which causes more trauma and more lack and causes us to double down even deeper on our war with each other. And we have we don't realize we're getting deep, like in trying to solve the problem by earning it and being enough and fixing it and saving, we're actually getting in the way and causing more problems. And, and, and the deeper psychological curse of it all which I, I i truly see it i know the power of words i know the power of thought i know the power of intention oh yeah we were cursed this is a curse you must suffer until nobody else is suffering it is the curse of the mimic program and it's the entanglement we enslave ourselves in when we have deep deep embedded fear guilt and shame that we can't overcome because we don't have intimacy and trust with life so it's such an anomaly to undo that program because our instincts in lack and what we're encouraged to do and the stories and the narratives that we've always been shown is to go to war you have to fight you have to defend you have to protect and those are all aspects that are innately aspects of us. But we don't realize that that's not the only option. And we will often preemptively go to war, start war before one's even started because we just believe, we believe so deeply in lack. We, in other words, we deeply mistrust each other. We deeply believe people are wrong. It's so much easier for people to believe in someone being a shithead and an asshole than to hear good stories. You just like so shocking when someone's kind, it seems. It's not, and again, this is, I'm talking collective dialogue conversation because I know there's so many people bouncing along in their, in their heaven on earth algorithm that just continually experience the best of humanity. And even when they see the worst, being able to see it through the, through the perspective of they're cut off from their from their will, from their primal creative instincts. Because when we're in our primal creative instincts that come from trust and intimacy with life, they come from the belief that there's enough and we are enough and we have innate value and we are witnessed. We were created by something because why would we be creators? Why would we create life? Why would we have this um, desire to 
to shape a future if we weren't eternal beings. Even time, I think time is, is the ultimate captor of lack. It's, it's why we, we believe so much in the lack of time. Because we've forgotten that we're eternal beings and that eternal beingness comes from how we are being, which ultimately comes from the, the lens we're looking at our life through. And like I said, I truly believe at any given moment, we're all vacillating from believing there's enough to believe it, to thinking there's not enough, to feeling like we have worth, to feeling like we don't have worth. We're all vacillating between that all the time. No exception. Not one human to me is in, in my life that I've ever met or heard speak has ever been an exception to that. So we're dealing with those energies, and it's because that, that psychic energy of there's not enough has been prevalent on this planet for so long. Such strong algorithms have been created because of that belief that we easily get sucked into it. And this is why remembering and knowing that you have a will matters. And anyone who's um, sensitive empathically or highly sensitive or just feel energy or very perceptive to the multidimensional layers of our psychology and how it feels most of the time if we if we haven't established our own will our own preference a lot of times we don't even know what our preference is because we so easily get swept away by whoever holds the strongest dominant resonance so that can often be someone who's in deep trauma or even for a lot of us who gravitate around powerful people or like um really people who have a really strong resonance and and aura often we still end up serving their resonance we don't even realize that we allow psychically their their preferences to be what we adjust to and then we end up feeling resentment towards the world around us because often it feels like our deepest like intimate connection and communion with life is never fully satisfied we don't ever feel truly seen or witnessed or known because our deepest preferences aren't known. And this is why I always refer back to Tantra. Because the, de- and, and I'm just scratching the surface with it. I'm not a Tantra expert. I'm not a Tantra teacher. I want to make that clear. But as I've studied it and, and, and dipped my toe in it, I knew immediately that it wasn't just about lovemaking and the, and the way you make love with your partner and the way we make love is so indicative of how we relate to life. So even if you're not sexually active or or making love, you are intimately connecting with life all the time. There is something that's deeply, the most intimate relationship we have is with our thoughts. There's a train going by, so if you hear that in the background. This, I'm only going to be in this place a few more months, and so eventually I'll have a different studio that doesn't have a, a train coming by all the time. Um, but anyway, I I think that I don't I don't remember where I just was, but something about if we don't enact our preference, and even if we're not even aware of what it is, we will feel deeply unknown, and our experience with life ends up feeling more obligatory and less fun and intimate and sometimes even flat out like rape because that's how disconnected we are from even knowing 
that we're allowed to enact a preference. And and we enact it in our resonance first and foremost. And I think a lot of people who are highly sensitive and empathic feel like they can't enact it unless they manipulate. A, and I'm using that word intentionally because we don't realize that we're powerful manipulators psychically. Because often we're born with the, because we feel so powerless to energies around us, we develop this belief that we have to, um, we have to take care of the outside world in order for our internal world to feel better. So we have to, we have to help someone else feel better so we can feel better. Or we have to do something in the external in order for our internal to feel better. And the anomaly to that is actually enacting it internally first in our resonance. And that shifts out externally to everything we're a match to or not a match to. It changes the equation without us even having to do anything. That verse in the Tao that's um, do nothing and nothing's left undone. This is the art, the feminine art. This is the craft. This is the craft of being alive and intimate to life. And whether we like it or not, everybody has a will and everybody has a responsibility for their own sake and for the sake of humanity's thriving and survival to understand what they are psychically willing and what they're psychically participating in, what they're agreeing to, because our beliefs create our reality. So if we're not aware of what we're voting for via how we are being, because we're tuned out to how it feels, because we've become so logical and we've put the brain on a pedestal and made it our God, we've completely disconnected from it a huge vital aspect of what we are, which is feeling beings and how it feels is part of our discernment. To control somebody, you have to disconnect them from how it feels and make them feel fear, guilt, and shame for even feeling in the first place or having a preference or wanting it to feel better. Oh, that's just selfish. Oh, think how sick it is. The psychological abuse we do to each other in the lack matrix, in the victim, aggressor, savior paradigm, we psychologically torture each other. And we've got to realize this. It's not some bad guy out there that does it. We are all participating in it. And, and, and my, from my perspective, the people who are the most invested in being good and following the rules often are the ones doing it the most. Reinforcing this idea that you're not enough and there's not enough and you have to be worthy and oh and by the way I'm above because I follow the rules or I do it right or I have the right ideology and then we don't even see how trapped we are because we keep feeding ourselves that loop of oh I'm right so then I'm justified to take I'm justified to hoard I'm justified to be above I'm justified to, to I literally have more value than this person because I'm right and they're wrong. So in this case, I can justify whatever whatever I believe should happen to someone who's wrong. We don't even realize how much the, the reward punishment system dictates to us. And the thing that I want to say, the power of an existential crisis, and I'm going to wrap it up. I always say that and then go on for like 15 more minutes, but I have to say it for myself. Wrap it up. Um... <laughs> we don't, I, again, I lost my thought. I go off on these side tangents and then lose my thought, but we don't realize how much we vote for lack all the time. And when we feel like we have to justify our ego and compete and be right and be enough, we 
on one hand, we're getting fed like, oh, this is the right thing to do. So here's all your praise. Here's your community acceptance. Here's your tribal acceptance, blah, blah, blah. But then we get more and more disconnected from our true authentic inner being. And then it's like that starts to feel more and more wrong because it's the more and more we allow authentic feelings to come up. If it's not completely in alignment with what our tribe thinks or does or is, then we make ourselves wrong. So we agree, which means we're psychologically agreeing that any any human who feels that way is wrong. So we are adding to it. We are using in our own way of psychologically agreeing to fear, guilt, and shame. We are agreeing to for humanity itself to be manipulated through that. And you see how easy we can be manipulated in that case because then it all becomes about who controls the narrative and who has the most dominant resonance reach about who's right and who's wrong because as soon as people think they're right they'll get on board with whatever it is including oh i'll justify murdering murdering people or my government my government murdering people because they're wrong it's it's something to think and how quickly as soon as we think someone's wrong and we're right and especially if we feel like it's our job to defend and protect and and whatever And again, I think that's instinctual and it's a part of our humanity. But what I'm saying is it's being misused, preemptively used. And it's not our best case, it's our worst case scenario to go to. And for every single person, there's not going to be one ideology that comes around that the entire world accepts. It's never going to happen. However, there are principles that the more of us that enact our will, our preference, it starts with preference. What is my preference? In terms of how it feels, what is my psychic preference? And it's people who are highly sensitive, who are artistic and channelers and healers. It starts with you guys. It starts It starts with us. Because if you don't have a preference to what you channel and who you speak to and why you speak to them or why you do what you do, if you're just following the rules or doing the right thing or serving selflessly, it will fuck you over in the end. It will fuck you over. Make no mistake about it. Your objective and your goal is not to be good. If you make that your objective, you are literally giving your power to the lack matrix. There is so much subtlety and nuance in this psychic conversation where the real diversity comes from, where the real diversity comes from. I remember when I first started like finally paying attention to politics, I grew up with a very political family and it turned me off. So I just was like, whatever. And it made no sense to me. And I just thought it was ridiculous. And the fact that people even took it seriously kind of made me like, ugh. but now I understand it on a whole different level. But regardless, I ignored it for for a long time. And when I started paying attention, I thought, how the hell does anyone think, in terms of American politics, that these two parties, and it seems like it's pretty much this globally, they're just called differently, called different things, represent everybody. And what, oh, no wonder we're at war. What a joke. What a complete freaking joke. And the fact that we all believe we just have to keep regurgitating that system and there's no way out of it and we just have to do the same thing over and over, what a joke. On top of it, it, and it shows like, oh, powerful outer authority. We believe we have to do it that way just simply because it's been done that way. Oh, you're enslaved. Is that just because it's been done that way, does it mean that it should be always done that way? 
I, I thought this when I was in Christianity too. Like when I was very Christian, it seemed like there was this particular style of church that came about in kind of the 50s and 60s. It's a style. It's a trend. But so many people grew up with that and their parents grew up with it that you think that that's the way church should be. And anything outside of it looking like that is not actually church. And then we lose the real intimacy and communion is church. First of all, your, your communion with your own spirit and with the spirit of life within you and with life itself and your relationship to that. That's where our first responsibility lies. And if we don't have trust and communion there, if we're at war with ourselves, well, then everything, we're going to be at war with the external world. So it's always about getting allies, gain, getting allies and knowing your enemy, being preemptive. And so we don't have communion. And what I'm trying to really get at here is it starts within us. And if we don't ever question where we are giving our external authority to, what we're giving external, and, and again, it's part of it. Like, it's it, it, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with having an external authority, but you've got to be sovereign in it or you are going to be controlled by lack. That's why there's some people who can be in religion or politics or whatever their whole life and never be owned by it. Because they have a sovereign relationship with it. And then there are others who are who end up enslaved and miserable because they're they're not sovereign with it. They they don't have an authentic experience with life itself in a way that, that has reestablished trust with being a creator, in a way that makes whatever it may that makes you realize, oh, I can choose what container I want to flow my life force energy through, my relationship with God through. And only I can choose that because my particular equation of heaven on earth is a very specific kind of relationship with God, a very specific kind of relationship with power or with life or with with intimacy itself, with being a creator. And nobody can tell us what that is because it is it's a resonance. And the only way to access it is by how it feels. We'll know it because it. It's self-sustaining. It, it gives us life. It, it gives to where things have been depleted. And it doesn't ask us to prove that we're worthy to receive life because we're already here and we're already alive. So we're innately worthy. So my challenge to anyone who's listening to this, and I'm super curious about who's listening to this. So if you, if something resonated with you about it, I'd love to hear about it. You can email me or like I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook. I'm going to be getting off Facebook. So depending on when you listen to this, I might not be on it anymore. Um, Regardless, I'd love to hear if this resonated with you because I felt so called to do this. I felt so called to talk about this. And there's so many different layers to talk about in this. But I I think anyone on the planet right now, our biggest challenge is is to be sovereign in our relationship with life. And that involves being so deeply primally connected to our preferences. And 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 what where do we feel right or wrong, good or bad about those preferences? And to really iron out what is that relationship? What is my deepest intention? If we believe there's not enough, then whether we realize it or not, our deepest intention is going to be to survive. And and our beliefs about what that means to survive are different for everybody. Some people believe that they have to be a good person to survive or they have to serve or they have to whatever. And so often they'll deplete themselves. 
and not pay attention to their deeper needs. And then the outside world never meets it because they don't know how to even articulate what they need and then they feel alone and then it re-traumatizes them. The trauma just keeps getting reinforced over and over. Or, and there's everything in between, but the two extremes are that or the narcissistic path where we where we believe only our preference and only our will matters and to hell with anyone else and you're not even going to consider anyone else. But that's still a form of lack because it's still saying we're not connected, which we are. And we influence each other. And so going all the way back to what I said about principles, if we govern ourselves via principles, govern ourselves So many people, we're so quick to govern other people. We try to tell people what they should and shouldn't do, but we don't even govern our own energy. And and I think there's nowhere more apparent than that than social media. I think a lot of people just, even me, I've, I've had times where I've gotten triggered and caught up in something and then I'm like, oh my gosh, A, what a waste of my energy. B... I'm, I'm, my ego, it needs to be right, right here more than anything. And so there's no intimacy and there's no communion going on. So there's real, really no true change other than both of us are just reinforcing our beliefs in lack. We've got to learn this. If we want to feel better, we have to be better. We have to be better. And what we are being influences everything else that we attract. And most of us aren't brave enough to really look at where am I numbed out to how it feels? Where am I numbed out to how others feel? Where am I numbed out to how I feel, to how I'm being, and how that must feel to others? And how can I take more responsibility, not for how other people feel, but for how I feel, and how I am being, and what I'm doing with that? This got preachy. 45 minutes of preaching. All right, guys, I'm done preaching for the day. I hope this message was helpful For anyone who wanted to hear it, I just want to leave you with dare to have an existential crisis, especially those of you who have never for one second thought that anything that you believed. I think there's there's people who truly have had this and I've had it before this pride, almost like I believe the best thing that there is to believe I'm free and everybody else is fucking enslaved to their whatever they think or how could they possibly think that way or how stupid can that's a huge thing I hear how how stupid anyone who's worshipped the mind and logic time to wake the fuck up your mind doesn't know it all you've got to include all that you are all right much love you guys